1207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. As Eric was just mentioning, um, Insight 2018 is one week from tomorrow. We will be joined by a number of luminaries, the Attorney General of the State of Wisconsin, the conservative candidate running for state Supreme Court, Michael Skrenak, my friend Kathleen O'Leary from the Wisconsin State Fair. We will have either live or on uh, in a taped interview, uh, Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson, the two people running for um, state Supreme Court. We're going to be joined by Congressman Glenn Grothman um, and a cast of thousands. Oh, yeah, the headliner, Governor Scott Walker, is going to be with me. We will. It's going to be a chance to see the governor maybe in a more intimate setting than you are used to. A lot of fun. Ticket sales have been robust. Um, it's 25 bucks. Um, so come on out and enjoy the event. It's kind of radio behind the scenes as well. Uh, you can simply go to WTMJ.com, click on Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018 and purchase tickets. Or as Eric was just mentioning, if you text the word Insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T to 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We will send you the link to make it easy. It's going to be a lot of fun. I am very much looking forward to it. And know a lot of people who are regular listeners of the show are coming out to uh, the broadcast. It will be fun, and I always enjoy it quite a bit. All right, we start today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. All right, during the, the last part of Steve's Caffiti show, he was talking to the assembly leader, Robin Voss, and they were talking about, you know, uh, plans that they in the state assembly have in the state senate to try to get some legislative stuff to the desk of, of the governor. And there's all sorts of proposals that are out there, including, you know, what are we going to do with uh, Lincoln Hills? That's one of the issues. How about the governor's school safety bill? Is that going to get done? And your eyes are probably glazing over because you're hearing some conversation about, well, you know, one's in an extraordinary session or a special session and one's in a regular session and we've got these procedural things. All right. Well, the underlying problem and why there is a degree of urgency, if you haven't figured it out, is that the state legislature, you get the Senate and the Assembly, they intend to knock off for the year this week or the early part of next week. Now, if you talk to the politicians, they will tell you, well, well, no, it's, it's not like we're really knocking off for, for the year because we're going to be back in our, our districts. But from the perspective of being on the floor, Debating legislation, advancing legislation, passing laws, it ain't going to happen unless they come back in an extraordinary session or a special session for one particular purpose. But basically, they are on vacation. Ooh, some people aren't going to like that, but they're on vacation. They're not going to be required to be on the floor between now and the end of the calendar year. Now, yeah, some of the legislators will be in their local office and they'll be taking constituent calls and things like that. But as far as advancing legislation, nothing is going to happen again unless they're called into a special session. And this is where we're now at the end of March. Now, Gru, who is producing the show for me today and always, here's the bottom line. If you just decide next week that you are not going to come into work, I can pretty much guarantee you that... Mr. and Mrs. Scripps are not going to pay you between now and the end of the year if you make that decision. But, of course, in Wisconsin, the elected officials get to make that decision. They decide when they start 
when they are going to knock off and when they are going to end. So that's why you have this rush now that's going on to try to get legislation done so they can go and take time off. Now, let us also be honest about this. What happens this year? It is an election year. Every member of the state assembly is up for election, and one-third of the members of the state senate are up for re-election or election. So you have a number of people who are going to be using this time to campaign instead of being in Madison. Now, some of them are in Madison occasionally, but there's no more scheduled floor sessions. All right, this is big story number one. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you can make an argument, and I have, I guess, over the last couple decades made an argument that, you know, when when the legislature decides to knock off, we're, we're all it's all probably a good thing because of some of the stuff that ends up getting done. But this idea that we are going to stop being on the floor effective the end of March and there's not going to be any more legislation that gets done between March and the end of the year, again, unless we get called into a special session for one thing. To me, I think that is absolutely absurd. If, if politicians, and I say this to Republicans and Democrats, if politicians are, you know, legislators are getting paid, I mean, I don't mind taking a spring break. I don't mind taking, you know, a couple of weeks off in the summer, but shouldn't they be working? Oh, Jeff, we, we work. Don't you understand? Joe? We're working. We're out there. No, 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 no. You're in your district offices. You're handling constituent calls. I get it. But as far as advancing legislation, you're not. And to me, taking a salary while you're not doing what is the principal portion of your job well, I have an issue with that. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Should politicians who are getting paid a bunch of money, should they be expected to stay in session? This idea that we're going to end the legislative year in March. Does that make any sense to you? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are back to discuss next. It's 1214. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1217, Jeff Wetner, WTMJ. He started over 100 games for the Green and Gold since 2010. Now he's a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just how big a loss for the Packers is Morgan Burnett. Greg Matzik says it's complicated and he explains why tonight at 643 on Sports Central. So, Gru, who's producing the show today? Packers moves so far. Your reaction? Oh, you give him a thumbs up. Nah. To me, the new boss is looking a lot like the old boss. I mean, essentially. No big splashes in free agency. You trade Jordy Nelson for Jimmy Graham, which is probably an upgrade. You make a bizarre trade, getting rid of the cornerback to get a quarterback from Cleveland who doesn't appear that he can win. And you and and again, you you don't get more for the, your former first round draft pick from that. You don't sign any cornerbacks, and your arch rival Chicago Bears. You essentially. Your big accomplishment is negotiating. Essentially, you, by making an offer to the guy, they really just did Chicago's work for him, negotiated their contract. To me, so far, the new general manager is looking a lot like the old general manager. Just just saying. You know, I understand you've got time to turn these things around, but I don't know. I understand why people also might be a little bit antsy. I don't know if the Packers have gotten significantly better, and some of the teams around them certainly have. All right, big story number two. 
no criminal charges will be filed in Ozaki County against a driver who crossed the center line and killed a Grafton teacher last year. This is a, a horrible, horrible story. You, you might remember there was a, just a wonderful lady. Her name was Jill Ruland, 51 years old, taught at Grafton Elementary School, was driving west on Highway 60. All right, that's, uh, again, the, the main road that runs from the freeway like through Grafton. About 4 p.m. on November 22nd of last year near the town of Grafton, a 22-year-old man driving east on Highway 60 in a Jeep Patriot crossed the center line and struck this woman's car head on. Um, Flight for Life came in. Um, she was seriously injured. Uh, the driver of and ultimately died as a result of her injuries. The driver of the Jeep was taken to Freighter Hospital. Um, he survived. He had a 19-year-old woman in the car with him. She was not seriously injured either. They are looking at the crash. Uh, the Jeep driver was cited for driving left of center. But then the Ozaki County District Attorney had to decide whether he was going to charge, file criminal charges against the guy. Um, and, and this is, it always comes down to the issue of, is there negligence? Yes. I mean, clearly he's negligent. He crosses the center line. But is it criminal negligence, which is negligence to a very, very high degree? And while they're not saying, I think they looked at a number of different things in connection with that. Don't think that there was alcohol involved in this. You didn't have a drunk driving situation. I don't think that they could prove that there was texting or anything like this. I think what ultimately ended up happening here is, at least according to the DA's office, you just have a situation where you've got a guy who's not paying attention. The car drift, it crosses the center line at the wrong time and hits this vehicle. So the DA's office is saying no criminal charges in connection with this case. Obviously, um, there will probably be, you know, citations for inattentive driving or, or whatever, but those won't be criminal. And of course, um, if there hasn't been a lawsuit filed already, inevitably the late woman's estate will be able to file a lawsuit. And to the extent that the guy had insurance or whatever, they'll be able to collect. But the bottom line is the DA's office decides no criminal charges in connection with this case. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do you believe that justice is being done? And again, I, I think what we have to assume from the DA's decision is that the, the driver of the car that crossed the center line was not drunk. The driver of the car that caused the center line was not texting. That would be a different sort of story, but rather was just kind of inattentive. Crossed the center line at the wrong time from the perspective, not that there's any right time to cross the center line, but in this case, there was a car coming the other way, monster crash, and the lady ends up dying. The issue is, is this just regular negligence or is this negligence to a very, very high degree, which is criminal negligence that you have to be able to prove beyond a reasonable doubt? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will come down. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute. But I guess the reaction is somebody's dead. Now, you have automobile crashes all the time. 
and you don't have criminal charges. I mean, somebody, I don't know, blows through a red light or runs a stop sign and smacks into the side of somebody else's car. They are negligent, right? But they're not charged criminally every time somebody blows through a red light or somebody blows through a stop sign or, you know, makes a rolling left hand, makes a rolling right hand turn on a red, doesn't look and smacks into somebody's car. The vast majority of those cases are not treated as criminal. They're treated as civil matters. In this case, somebody crosses a center line and somebody else is dead. Does that in and of itself mean it's a criminal case? Let's start with Keith and Racine. Keith, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. What do you think of this? Um, I'm kind of on the opposite end of the whole thing because I recently had a friend that was killed by a person that crossed the center line, and he was in a semi, and he tried to avoid hitting this, having this woman hit him, mm-hmm. and he ended up dying. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think these prosecutors, district attorneys, whatever you want to call them, are getting way too watching what they're going to do politically later on in life. Because to me, you cross the center line, you kill someone. To me, that's manslaughter. If I'm driving down the road with my semi and I cross the center line and I kill a person in a car, I'm going the way to jail. Mm-hmm. That's all there is to it. Do you it's think manslaughter ev- and that's it? Well, do you think every time, every time somebody, for example, crosses the center line, let's say there hadn't been a collision, but rather. It was just somebody crosses the center line because they're not paying attention or whatever, um, and there, there's a crash, but nobody gets hurt too badly. In a situation like that, do you think that the person who crossed the center line should be criminally charged? I think they have. I think the people out there need to understand that they have to be in control of their vehicles mm-hmm. at all times. Yeah. Well, and, there are and, mechanical things that happen out here on the road that are not in our control. Okay, right. and I understand that, but if you're a texting, not paying right. attention, you know, you need to be liable, and you need to take the, you know, be liable for your actions. Well, right, and see, Keith, don't, uh, please understand. I, I don't think anybody, starting with the Ozaki County District Attorney, is arguing that the person who crossed the center line doesn't have a degree of responsibility. The question is, is it a crime? You know, there's a difference between a crime and between being negligent and being open to lawsuits and cited by and having your driver's license taken away and things like that. I mean, that's that's what the difference is. And I guess what I was trying to get at is, all right, is it if you I mean, are we going to criminally charge everybody every time they cross the center line and there's not an accident every time somebody goes through again, let's assume for the sake of argument, we're not talking texting, we're not talking somebody that's drunk, but rather, you know, somebody's looking down or looking over and they go through that red light and they hit you know another car okay is that going to be treated as a crime every time it happens let's assume they're not speeding it's just i you know somebody says i'm not paying wasn't paying attention i i went through the red light they're not drunk they're not speeding is that going to be a crime every time it happens steve in west Dallas. steve you're on wtmj hello steve Steve? Yes. What do you think? Why shouldn't it be a crime? I mean, you should be 24-7, 
or wherever your surroundings, please. Well, yes. I, I mean, thanks for well. Okay, be, because the, for, in order for it to be a crime, simply being negligent, all right, that doesn't rise to the level of, of a crime. Otherwise, people would be committing crimes, you know, right, right and left. Okay, you're you're negligent. You're let's say you're you're out on the road again. I'll use my example. You you. To create a, you go through a traffic you go you create a traffic violation all right you you again you you blow through the stop sign all right is, is that a criminal matter that somebody's going to get locked up for or is it something that you get a citation for if you're responsible for the accident you're liable and then you know you end up having to pay or your insurance company has to pay that that's the idea of negligence um, criminal negligence is actually negligence to a, an extreme conduct that was so reckless that, you know, you know or should have known that it was going to cause a, an accident or a collision or a problem. And in this case, I, my guess is they went back. They looked at the facts that they had. They had somebody, again, who crossed the center line. They tried to prove if he was texting or not. I don't think they could do that. Apparently, alcohol wasn't involved. It was just somebody who, I don't know, inadvertently crossed the line. A horrible sort of result. Um, I understand that that this doesn't make anybody, this doesn't satisfy anybody. I, I get it. The truth of the matter is, though, that nothing they could have done would have brought this woman back. Um, in I, I guess it's, it would be easier to say, oh, this is an outrageous decision by the district attorney. But the truth of the matter is, I, I think it's probably the right decision. And, and again, it's a horrible situation. Obviously, there will be lawsuits. I think if the DA had brought criminal charges, it is very, very unlikely that he would have been able to secure a conviction. That is convincing 12 people beyond a reasonable doubt that this wasn't just negligent, but this was the high level of negligence you need to prove that it's a crime. If the defense is, I I don't know exactly what happened. I I looked down, the car weaved. I'm sorry, I wasn't drinking. I was, I, I guess I just made a mistake here. I don't think you would have been able to secure a conviction. And I understand that people are frustrated about that, but I think it's probably right the right decision. It's 1229. This is Jeff Wagner. 1237. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we have our Insight winners, a pair of tickets to Insight. Um, we will have more tickets to give away as the week goes on. Also, later on in today's show, I've got a pair of tickets to see William Shatner at the Riverside Theater this weekend. Um, he's going to offer commentary after they screen the movie uh, The Wrath of Khan. So that will be coming up between now and 3 o'clock. If you did not win the tickets to Insight, uh, still want to see you there. It's 25 bucks. Go to WTMJ.com, click on the Insight 2018 thing, and stop out and see us. All right. I admit that um, since these bombs started being found in Austin, Texas, in early March, it has been a scary thor- sort of thing. I, I, we, I, I was at this, this meeting this morning. They, they have here at WTMJ, they have these, these meetings every morning at 1015 where people from different departments get together and, and go over, you know, what what's the news of the day and what are we working on in the future and all. And I, I try to attend a couple times a, a week, and I, I just – I, I was kind of curious because I asked the crowd today, and this is one of the ways that I, I kind of feel old because I think I was the only one, with the exception of John McCure, I was the only one in the room born um, who was alive in 1984. 
But I said, okay, first of all, who, can I see a show of hands? Who was alive in 1984? And nobody's hands go up except McCure, of course. And, and I said, okay, well, then nobody probably remembers the name Earl Stephen Carr. Earl Stephen Carr was a, a, a bomber um, who terrorized the Midwest for a period of time um, in June and July of 1984 by planting bombs throughout Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota. And if you were around here, you might remember Earl Stephen Carr. There was, and, and it went through a period of time where there were pipe bombs, and pipe bombs are nasty, nasty things. And I'm, I'm not even, I'm not going to go into the particulars as to how you make one of these, but, but somebody with the wherewithal and now access to the internet. Now this is back in 1984. You know, you, you can, you can build these things, um, with, just stuff that you can buy at at hardware stores and and things like that. Really, really scary if you've got these sick people that are out there. And Earl Stephen Carr, what he did is he would manufacture these homemade pipe bombs, and he would leave them. He left one in a public park in Milwaukee, and as I recall, he he attached like like a dollar bill or a five-dollar bill um, was attached to this thing, and the bomb itself was hidden, and so somebody pulled on the, um, you know, pulled on the the dollar bill or the five dollar bill or whatever, and that was like the tripwire causing this thing to go off. Th- these are just nasty things, and the people that do this are sick, you know what? Um, Earl Stephen Carr was ultimately caught sitting in a rental car in Mason City, Iowa, m- putting together a pipe bomb. That then that's and he blew himself up. That that's which is how over the years authorities a lot of times find these bombers because, you know, they're dealing with volatile sort of stuff. And as they're putting the thing together, they blow themselves up. Now, unfortunately, yes, I said, unfortunately, he didn't kill himself. Um, he, he injured himself severely, and um, you know, he was served. He served. He was sentenced to twenty-five years. I was trying to figure out what happened to him. Uh, couldn't during my search, but but this is the type of stuff. I mean, and if you were around during this time in the early eighties, you you know how terrified a community can become when you have someone who is again doing things like this, taking innocuous objects planting them in various places, disguising the bombs as packages so people pick up the package or whatever, and these things end up blowing up. Now, since March 2nd in Austin, Texas, Austin is, of course, the capital of Texas, there have been four separate explosive devices. And the authorities aren't saying precisely what type of explosive device that they are, but four separate types of four separate homemade explosive devices that have have gone off. Um, generally speaking, in residential neighborhoods, and at first they were trying to figure out was this someone who was was this an assassin? Was this somebody who was targeting a particular person? Well, now it, it appears, and it's even scarier in a way. It appears that you have a serial bomber who is just out there trying to randomly injure people. Um, So four explosions in Austin. And then, of course, the news today that another one of these explosive devices went off 
early this morning, late last night, at a FedEx ground distribution facility in Texas. Um, this was in San Antonio, injuring one person. They believe that this was linked to the string of bombings in in Austin. Um, and I think you know they're they're not immediately confirming what was in the package. But um, they think, again, it had stuff in it that would be reminiscent of, I'm using the broad term pipe bombs to describe these things. That might not exactly be what it is, but it has the similar effect. So, um, you know, now they're thinking that this is starting to spread. They believe that this serial bomber might now be using, you know, packages in addition to, you know, using tripwire and things like that. And you have understandably you know you have the entire community just completely and totally freaked out over the fact that you might have somebody who is indiscriminately indiscriminately trying to kill and maim people all right i want to open up the phone lines our numbers are 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line i i find this to be terrifying because of the randomness and because of the destructive capacity of these things. The idea that anytime you see a package on your front porch and, and, and pick it up, or you go to move a box or an object, or you're walking through a public area, all of a sudden you could set off a tripwire and cause something to explode. This is the type of thing which I understand really causes people. My guess is right now, if you live in Austin, Texas, you're not letting your kids go out to public parks. Um, it's just like full-time lockdown until they catch the person responsible. And they will catch the person responsible. But at some point in time, you don't know how many more of these things is he going to set off, how many people are going to get injured, how many people are going to get maimed by this. All right, if something like this we're going on around here. I think it would be life changing in the fact that I think it would change people's behavior. And I think in Austin, Texas, it can't be business as usual, which is why this needs to be such a priority for law enforcement. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you were living in this area, this region today, would this be changing your lifestyle? Would you be saying, okay, I'm not going to let my kids go out and play in public parks. Um, I'm going to, you know, really be extremely careful picking up some package that's left in my mailbox or that's left in my on my doorstep. Or is that giving in to paranoia? 414-799-1620, that's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think if this was going on in southeastern Wisconsin, you would have... I think people would be pretty much paralyzed. And you know what? I probably would be one of those people. Is that an overreaction? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. You know, what's going on in Austin now um, re- reminded me, in some respects, of the, the D.C. sniper case, and, and this is this kind of hit close to home because my best friend Evan and, and my dear friend and Evan's wife Susan and their son Dean, they lived in the Arlington, Virginia area um, back back then. This was back in 2002 where you had this father-son team um, 
who were, um, you know, just randomly shooting people. Ten people were killed. Three others were critically injured um, in the Washington, D.C. metro area and along Interstate 95. These were the D.C. snipers who would just, like, randomly shoot people. And it was a terrifying three weeks. I mean, I can remember... To, to this day, we still kind of talk about it because it was one of those things where you were literally afraid to go out and put gasoline in your car because you, you didn't know. There was no rhyme or reason. You know, you were taking your life into your own hands, and it really was a paralyzing sort of situation. Ultimately, they caught the, the two of them. This is, I mean, I think sort of the same thing that's going on in Austin now. You've had four separate bombings since March 2nd, and um, again, these are packages, or now the last one appears to have been something set up on a trip wire. You know, somebody walks and inadvertently trips the wire, the thing explodes. Last night, you have the package that um, apparently that was a bomb that was, uh, and they believe that that was in San Antonio. Now that's tied into the Austin thing. Can you imagine living like this? Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, I would be scared to death for myself and my family. Um, what I'm interested to see is the reaction after they do catch this individual. My prediction is if it's an immigrant, we're going to be attacking Muslims and immigrants. If it's a minority, it's what's wrong with our inner cities. And if it's a white person, it's going to be what do we do with our mental health issues? Hmm. And that is what, you know, I'm curious to see, and I hope no one else gets hurt. But well. Well, I guess that, I'm curious to see what happens on your radio station. Well, we'll, and, we'll see. Know, I guess let's let's after they get caught. Well, I mean, Scott, let, let's see as a starting point. Let's catch them. Um, you know, we, everybody has different images as to what this is going to be. Um, and I guess I have a certain image in my mind. And well, I mean, I'll share that once they catch the person a, as to what this is. But whether it's just this is something that has always been with us. And that's why I started the conversation going back to 1984, because I. I remember that and I went through a period of time in my career as a federal prosecutor where I prosecuted, thankfully, only a handful of people. I mean, I remember there was a guy, prosecuted a guy who lived, God, he lived uh, across from what was Northridge Shopping Center, and he was he was selling pipe bombs. I mean, it's like, God, I, oh, my goodness gracious. Uh, you know, you're, you're selling pipe bombs. I mean, what do you think is going to be, you know, be done with that type of stuff? But I mean, I can remember the randomness of these type of things. Again, I, I remember the the guy who was responsible for essentially terrorizing the Midwest over this period of time back in 1984 um, with, with this. And you can understand how paralyzing this entire thing would, would be for people who end up behaving in this sort of fashion. Um, we have one of our texts. Jeff says, I would be freaked out. I often have picked up packages left in the foyer of our apartment building and placed them inside our building for neighbors. Um, I'm already at the point where I'm hesitating to do so. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's one of the things that happens with this stuff going on. It and, and I don't know if this is the intent of the person who's doing it. Chances are he's just a sick you-know-what, or she's just, a, it's almost always guys, but he or she is just a sick you-know-what who's doing th- this type of, of stuff. And it is that randomness that is what causes people to become extremely uncomfortable and freak out. But I will tell you, if I lived in the Austin area, I would be changing my behavior. There's just no question about it because, you know, when you go out and you open up that mailbox, you, you don't know what is going to be in it. So that's why it is so important to put law enforcement resources into catching this. It also demonstrates, again, the larger point 
of, of how fragile our society and our security is because all you need is one sick, psychopathic individual. Again, I don't know how these bombs have been constructed, but like I say, somebody with a will can often find a, a way. It's not like you necessarily have to, I don't know, go out and put together all sorts of exotic things, sort of like the people who commit the acts of terrorism in the rented cars, or the rented trucks, by just finding a populous play, populated place and trying to drive down the streets. Stuff that there's you know, not necessarily that much stuff that you can deal with. But I think this, again, underscores why many times we need to be careful um, just with everyday stuff because everyday stuff um, can turn into something really, really dangerous really, really fast. It's 1255. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, when we come back, we're going to talk about a number of things, including does it matter? Does it matter if the president has a problem with telling the truth? And McDonald's raise rage the last thing this woman needed was a bacon burger stick around it's 1255 this is jeff wagner 1257 jeff wagner wtmj okay talk about making lemonade from lemons well this this is actually great um you might remember mid-january the brewers announced that they were uh, long time Clement Sausage, of course, was the long time sponsor of the Clements Racing Sausages. The Brewers announced that they were moving in a different direction. That's the phrase they use a lot of times, and that Johnsonville was going to be the the sponsor. Um, so, okay, Clements and that Clements, a local company. You want to see them succeed. You want to do them well. I'm, and I'm not criticizing the Brewers. I don't know what the economics of this deal were. And I like Johnsonville and I like Clement Sausage. I like Bratwurst. I like you singers. I'm a Brat guy. I'm an equal opportunity Brat and hot dog lover. But anyhow, Clements loses out on the Brewers' sponsorship. So apparently the story is the next day they had a meeting scheduled with Don Smiley of, of Summerfest. And... They started conversations about, well, okay, if you're, if you're not spending the money with the brewers, maybe there is an opportunity. And that opportunity came to fruition today. Clements announcing a 10-year partnership with Summerfest for a, a new stage. Um, it's going to be a, a Clements stage, Clements Sausage and Beer Garden. I just like the sound of that. It's going to be in, new stage um, inside the North Gate. And apparently it's going to be uh, feature local acoustic musicians playing from 2 to 8 p.m. daily, and beer will be sold, and Clement's products will be available. I think it's a great opportunity. I think it, it, this is a great situation. I'm glad Summerfest, which is a local treasure, and Clement's Sausage, which is a local treasure, I am glad they were able to find each other. And opening day of Summerfest, I will. I'm promising I'm going to go check out. I'm going to have me a brat. Check out the Clements Acoustic Stage. Count on it. 1259, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 108, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Eric, I know, you, you know you've you covered a lot of crime stories over the years and stuff. Sure. Do you ever wonder, but when somebody does something just like really stupid or outrageous or, or whatever, do you ever wonder, what was the... What was the 15 minutes before <laughs> they did what they did? Always. Like? I'm always fascinated yeah, like, by that. W- what, what was this? And, and I've got a classic example of, of one of these stories. Okay, this happened Sunday morning about 11 o'clock at this McDonald's on Port Washington Road in Glendale. It happens okay. to be, by the way, a McDonald's. As somebody who grew up in Glendale and lived in Whitefish Bay, it happens to be a McDonald's I used to go to all the time. Okay, It's not a particularly good McDonald's as far as service and things like that you you gotta 
you know, I, and, and I understand this isn't a criticism. I'm just saying that a lot of times if you get stuck in that drive through line, you will wait forever. I mean, some some <laughs> McDonald's are really good at moving you through. Others are, are bad. It's not the worst one. I have my nominee. Maybe we'll do that as a topic sometime, too, the worst <laughs> drive through place in town. But but it, it, it's it, it's it's hit and miss. Okay, okay so that that's kind of the background. Um, so hit and miss that I, I just stopped going there. So anyways, here, here's the story. There's a, a, a woman, um, sort of a, a large woman. All right. And that, that becomes relevant later on, perhaps a, a somewhat large woman and her friend, they are in the drive through line. Apparently the somewhat large woman orders a, a bacon breakfast sandwich okay. at the drive-thru. Mm-hmm. Now, my response would be, lady, you probably don't need that, but that's okay. Um, so she, she goes to the drive-thru window. She gets food. She looks in the food, and she has gotten the wrong sandwich, ah, which does happen, does happen from time to time. She then throws the bag at the employee at the drive-thru window and says, what the blank is this? Although she doesn't say blank. What the blank is this? I didn't order no sausage biscuit. Okay? All right. All right. So she's now thrown the food back at the kid that's probably making a little bit over minimum wage or whatever. All right. The manager then comes apparently to the window and apologizes. Gee, I'm sorry that you didn't get your bacon sandwich, whatever. And they correct the order. Okay, and so they give her the food. All right, problem solved, whatever. Well, apparently. Well, here's what happens. A couple minutes later, the woman, um, again, who's big and mean-looking, with her her partner in tow, come inside the restaurant, cut in line, and start yelling at the employee behind the counter – because they say they still did not get the bacon sandwich. So apparently her point is when the manager corrected the order, he got it wrong. Don't don't know. Right. But she's now like screaming at, at this and she's cut in line. Now, okay, this is all because you got a sausage McMuffin instead of a, a bacon, egg, and cheese McMuffin. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you have stormed in, cut in line. All right, so they're, they're screaming and, and she is yelling, um, she's yelling, um, I know you people only make two blanking cents an hour, etc. So the manager says, look, I'm, I'm sorry this has been a bad experience. Here, let me give you your money back. So gives her her money back. The woman is not happy with that. She then walks behind the counter ooh, to continue ooh. arguing with the manager. Now, again, this is all because she didn't get a bacon sandwich, Okay. They've now given her whatever the hell they gave her, and they've given her money back, but she's now in this complete and total rage. Okay, so she's, and again, I've mentioned before, she's a big woman. So she's screaming now at the manager. This is 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning in McDonald's on Port Washington Road. She's screaming at the manager, and apparently the there's a 17-year-old kid, female employee, who's behind the counter as well. Well, as the woman starts, like, Coming after the manager, the 17-year-old decides to take the bullet. She steps between this outraged customer and the manager. Okay. All right. We wouldn't do that for our program director, (laughs) would we? No, no. Okay. All right. Okay. At which point in time, um, the woman 
apparently starts wailing on the 17-year-old. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, bangs her head on the, the French fry station and, and starts slam. She starts, she attacks the 17-year-old. Okay, so now you've got, you know, this, this 17-year-old who's been assaulted all over this kind of bacon sandwich. And this is all on a videotape. The, the story, by the way, has gone national. The Journal Sentinel had it, but now it's, I mean, this is oh, national yeah. news. Oh, yeah. And they've got the, the video of the, the woman and her accomplice then kind of waddling in and waddling out of the McDonald's, you know, in th- this rage. Um, so they then, they leave, get into a car, and flee. The 17-year-old employee taken to the hospital to get checked out. Apparently, she got tossed into the area where the, they got the French fry grease and wow, stuff. that's dangerous. Well, she of course it is. Scalded. Well, and, and I guess I, I was trying to find out what the larger point of this all was, <laughs> except that... She was hungry, basically. Well, well I'm like, but it is. It's one of those where I, I'm wondering what went on in this woman's life the 15 minutes before mm-hmm. this happened that would cause you. I mean, we we all go through the drive-through windows, and we all, from time to time, get the wrong food. Of course, of you know course. that that that's it, and and, and it, it happens inevitably. And most times, you just kind of say, oh. I got the wrong food again. But you th- may curse, but you wouldn't well, get exactly, out of the car. Well, exactly. Right, right. You wouldn't get out of the car, and then you wouldn't storm in, and then after you get your money back, you wouldn't continue the conversation, and you wouldn't you wouldn't go upside the head of some 17-year-old kid <laughs> who's behind the yes. counter, which does make me wonder, I, I mean, is this this woman that just has no impulse control at all or the impulse control of a fruit fly, or is it more just like, did something really bad happen? Wouldn't you just love to? I mean, what makes you go nuts in the drive-thru of, of a McDonald's? It's a great question. I, I just, that is a great question. You it was know, a bad day. She's having a bad day. Well, will you, will you, or maybe this is every day. I mean, that, that, that's, <laughs> I see, that, see, no, that's what I wonder. I mean, okay, maybe this is, was it a bad day or a bad moment, or is this just... You know, a, a typical Sunday where the the woman's going to like fly into this this rage. So now, I mean, it's a big deal. The cops, Glendale cops, have this this is this the p- photos of the woman and her quote unquote accomplice are, are all over because it's there's surveillance. McDonald's have surveillance camera pictures. So now there is a a manhunt for out there, so to speak, for this this woman who like punched out the kid at the McDonald's. We should put it on our text line. <laughs> well, yeah. Do you know this woman? You know, I mean, just 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 stay clear. When she orders the bacon sandwich, make sure she gets the bacon sandwich. That's it. Jeez. Oh, I, I like the sausage. I I get. I like the sausage biscuits at McDonald's. I actually like their sausage stuff better than uh, their so bacon you, stuff. You would have been fine with the the sandwich mistake then. I, I well. I, whether I would have fine or not, I, I guarantee you I wouldn't have stormed into the McDonald's, punched out a 17-year-old. I guarantee you that. <laughs> I'm not sure what I might have done. I might have told the story on the radio about, oh, I got the wrong thing again. But who does this kind of stuff? Well, just an, another day, another day at McDonald's in Glendale. All right, when we come back, does it bother you that the president has sort of a, well, I don't know, tenuous connection with the truth? Stick around. It's 116. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 120, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right. Uh, All presidents have been known to stretch the truth from time to time. Um, In some cases, they were outright lies. Bill, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. Um, Clinton, 
classic example of that. And and and, and that's and that's again. And sometimes, well, let's put aside the Clinton thing there. I mean, see, sometimes what happens with politicians is it it's it's not a lie. It's just trying to advance a position by taking the facts that are most favorable to you and stress and you know stressing those so okay the economy is going great gangbusters and here's why and why and why and why and why and then somebody might say oh he he's lying or she's lying because she didn't mention all the downside she didn't say this or that or the other thing because it didn't match the theory that to me is isn't a lie it's just again trying to present your argument and present your case in the strongest way possible so i think all presidents and and many many politicians either try to shade the facts so it presents them in the best light possible or presents their policies in the best light possible um or again sometimes kind of stretch the truth to try to reach their point so i understand that this is a a common thing having said that i don't think there is any question that president trump's relationship with the truth is probably a lot more tenuous than than perhaps any other elected official around and it's actually it's not surprising because if you read the stuff that trump even used to write about himself and say about himself um for example you know i mean keep in mind how president trump comes to the presidency he comes as a businessman and a sales guy I mean that that's it. You know, he he's a real estate developer. He's a sales guy. He's pushing stuff and and actually in in the art of the deal, which is his book, um, you know, he he calls, I mean he acknowledges that from time to time he would fabricate or exaggerate, you know, a particular narrative in order to advance his interests. He calls it truthful hyperbole or innocent exaggeration. Okay, and you know, um, you know, and and he acknowledges that he used to do it. There, there's an example. New York Times had a piece about this when trying to lure investors into a casino project. He had bulldozers dig on one side of the site, dump the dirt on the other to give the impression that the project was making progress when it really wasn't. It was just here. I'm going to have bulldozers just move dirt from one side to another. So when I've got these investors in there, they think we have already broken ground. He would call reporters and pretend to be a publicity agent for himself named John Barron or John Miller. He claimed to earn a million dollars from a speech when it was $400,000, which, I mean, $400,000 for speaking fee is a pretty darn good speaking fee. But, you know, he claimed to have a, a million. Um, he claimed to be worth $3.5 billion when seeking a bank loan, and, and actually turns out that was four times what his actual worth was. But that still means, you know, he's worth $750 million or something. Nothing to be proud of. And so, you know, what they say is they say, look, he's a salesman, and, and it's not about telling the truth. It's not the DNA. He He's there trying to tell people what they want to hear, and, and that's who he is. And so that's why when you have him come out and talk about, okay, the, the crowd that showed up at his inauguration, this was the largest crowd ever, when it clearly wasn't, it's just part of his DNA. It's when the president... I don't know, goes into this meeting with the prime minister of Canada and tells the prime minister of Canada, hey, 
you know, we we've got we're we've got a, a trade deficit with you. And the prime minister says, no, actually, it's the other way around. And he says, Justin, you don't know what you're talking about. And it's it's Trump that either doesn't know that actually, you know, we do have a trade surplus with Canada and that the prime minister is right, either doesn't know or, or doesn't care. And he boasts about this. And so you have example after example after example where the president plays fast and loose with the truth because it doesn't suit the narrative that he is trying to advance. All right, I want to open up the phone lines. Our numbers are 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, some of the examples I was just using in this discussion were were admittedly, I, I think, sort of trivial who cares how many people showed up at the inauguration one way or the other? But it does demonstrate the fact that the president is willing to either stretch the truth or make things up in order to make himself look better or, again, advance whatever particular narrative he has. Does it bother you? Do you think this is a problem that President Trump you can say lie if you want to use the word lie. Um, you can say makes things up. You can say doesn't care about the truth um, in certain cases. Does it bother you? Or is this just, again, something that, hey, it, it's puffing. It's part of the thing. It's who he is. It's an exaggeration. It's, again, truthful hyperbole, innocent exaggeration. Is this a problem? And clearly, this has been something that is is built into President Trump's DNA. This is nothing new. This is who the guy was. And you're not going to change at 72 years old. Does the fact that he is routinely willing to stretch the truth, lie, whatever word you want to use, does that bother you? Is this a problem? Or is it just Trump being Trump? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I will tell you where, you, where I come down on this. But I'm curious, I mean, when, when you hear the president saying stuff, which um, turns out to be demonstrably false, is it something that gives you pause? Or if it serves the higher good, if it advances America's interests, we want to stop being ripped off by bad trade deals. So here, the president's going to say we're running a trade deficit, even though we're not with Canada. Does that bother you? 414-799-1620. Be honest. We'll discuss next. It's 127. This is Jeff Wagner. 129, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Frank in Green Bay. Frank, good afternoon. Uh, Good afternoon. Okay, does it bother you that the president stretches the truth on occasion, on lots of occasions? Yes, it does bother me, especially when uh, we're talking about serious issues that affect the country. Uh, and I, I believe, I don't believe he's very well prepared. He doesn't do his homework well enough uh, in some cases. And in some cases, I think he just stretches the truth because he wants to make his point. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, my guess this this thing, this dust up with the Canadian prime minister, you know, where he went in and they get into this argument about trade surplus and he kind of bullies the guy into backing down. I, I think he honestly didn't know. <laughs> I'm not sure that was lying. I think he didn't know, which might be scarier than actually, you know, telling a, a falsehood. Well, I agree. I I think the first thing he needs to do is to, you know, sit down and 
really familiarize himself with some of these Right. Very complex issues. Right, yeah, do, do your homework. No, no thanks, Nicole. I, I, I guess this is, and again, feel free to disagree with me on this, but I, see, I, I think, I, I understand puffing, I understand exaggeration, I understand trying to, you know, take facts and, and construct an argument and, and looking at things in the light most favorable to your argument. I get all that. I, I understand that. But the truth does, in fact, matter. And part of the problem is, if you get into a pattern of deception, you know, once people realize that your word is not good, that affects how they treat you. And it becomes, I think, almost impossible to deal with foreign leaders if the situation is we don't know if we can trust this guy and we don't know what he's saying is true. It just hurts your credibility. And when you are a business person or a politician, that's one of the things you traffic in is is credibility. And I think, you know, for example, some of this PolitiFact stuff that's out there, you know, do people cherry pick stuff to try to make Donald Trump look bad? Of course they do. I get all that. But at the same time, he gives them a lot of ammunition. And I think the president would be so much better off if, uh, again, we started to get rid of the, I don't know, useful hyperbole or the, um, I don't know, innocent exaggeration and kind of stick to the facts and make your argument based on that. 138, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, we've got our winner of the William Shatner tickets. We'll have more to give away as the week rolls on. Quick reminder, a week from tomorrow, Country Springs Hotel. Doors open at 530. The show starts at 630. It's Insight 2018. We've got a great guest list highlighted by the uh, governor of the state of Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about a number of things. And, and what's so cool about Insight is, first of all, you get, since we broadcast it this year, we're broadcasting it back on both Thursday and on Friday. But you get a chance to see some of these newsmakers in a very intimate sort of setting. Um it's just, it's always been a first-class operation, and I'm, I'm, this is the second year that I've been the, the headliner for it, and very, very pleased. Um, expecting a large crowd. Um, there are still some tickets available. If you go to WTMJ.com, you'll see Jeff Wagner's Insight 2018. Click on that, and it's 25 bucks a piece. Um, you, you'll have a great evening. You'll have a great evening, and I uh, hope to see a lot of people out there again. Insight 2018 is a week from tomorrow at the Country Springs Hotel. Brewers opening day. The Brewers open in San Diego. That's the following day. That's that Thursday. And then the home opener. And if you're a Brewers fan, you know here at WTMJ, you know, we, we turn the home op- opener into, if not a national holiday, certainly a local holiday. We've got a lot of great plans for that, including this is going to be, I think, the third or the fourth year in a row that I get to be actually in the dugout doing some interviews and all. So that will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that quite a bit. But check out, first of all, it, it's Insight 2018. That is a week from tomorrow. Okay, I want to totally switch gears. I had an interesting experience yesterday, and it's one of these things about the, how the times they are a changing. It always used to be if you want, if you've got a used car and you want to sell. I mean, the, the two ways that you would do it is either you 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 trade it in. Let's say you're ready to buy a new car. You go and you see what the dealer would give you a trade in, or you decide that you're going to sell it yourself. And the way you would typically sell something yourself is that you would you know, put an ad in the newspaper. Yes, that's how the people used to do it. And then you'd sit and wait to see if you've got phone calls. Well, okay, now nobody sells cars in the newspaper anymore. I mean, the classified section of the newspaper is like non, non-existent. But people, I guess, do do it on the Internet. 
it and do do it on Craigslist. Well, here's the situation. I've um, for okay a while now. I've had a third car. It was my late wife's car. Um, we bought it just a little bit before she got sick. It it had very little miles on it, and I, I wasn't. I, I wasn't ready to sell it. I had to just kind of get myself emotionally ready to sell it. So, I mean, I, I've, I've kept it. So it was a 2015 car with l- almost no miles on it. I mean, maybe 8,000 miles, and that's mostly what I put on driving it last summer. But, you know, it, it's it's my, my wife. She's got her car. I, I've got my car. We didn't need the third car. And so, you know, I was dealing with, okay, I'm paying insurance on the thing, and I'm, you know, dealing with figuring out, you know, where are we going to keep it in the garage and stuff. And it's kind of like, okay, I'm ready, time to sell it. So I started thinking, well, obviously you don't do newspaper classifieds anymore. And at some point in time, I I might be interested in buying a new car. But, again, that's – I don't know when that would be. And I still, we don't need three cars. That's just the bottom line. Don't need three cars, and I'm paying insurance on it and all. So over the weekend, I kind of came to this conclusion, all right, it's time to just to sell the car. So I started thinking about how to do it. I was like, okay, well, do I want to put an ad on car, Craigslist or some of these other things? Is that the best way to go? I'm not, again, ready to trade it in, so I don't want to do that. Or there, there's some of these services that are out there. The one locally around here, it, it's like CarMax. So, you know, you, you on the Internet, you make an appointment. You say you want an appraisal. You go in. And this is what I did yesterday afternoon. You, you go in, pull in. They take the information about the car. They have somebody come out. They drive it. They give you an offer. And if it's in the ballpark, you can accept it or not accept it. In my case, it was a reasonable offer. It was when the range of what I thought the car was ready was to sell for. And in the space of like 90 minutes, 4 o'clock to 5.30, I have sold the car and I've walked out with a check in my pocket. It was just just, just amazing. I showed up with all the right stuff, and it, that, that's how we did it. Now, since doing it in that fashion, I've had a, a number of people who've said, no, Jeff, the, the, the old-fashioned way is better. You know, you should have... You know, you, you should have gone through the trouble of, you know, find, you know, one of these sites, put it on there. It was a low-mileage car. You could have gotten a little more money from, from doing this. And my argument was, well, yeah, maybe I could have gotten a little more money. But, again, there would be a time involvement with this. I'd have to be home for people, you know, who called up for appointments. You never know who's going to show up. And somebody, for all I know, could show up in a stolen car. I could give them my car keys and never see them again. Got to worry about, is the check going to clear? This was simple. It was easy and i was thinking this is actually kind of the wave of the future all right 414 we're gonna do this for one segment because I, i'm curious as the way to the way things evolve 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line have you sold you know a, a used car in the recent future in the recent past and, and what's the best way to go about doing it? Like I say, it always used to be that you would put ads in the paper and do things like that and hope that the phone would ring. Um, a lot of times you go to the dealers. I, I just found this, what I think is a relatively, I mean, I understand the business model's been there for a while, but it could not have been easier. Now, I have some people saying, Jeff, you probably left some money on the table. Well, maybe I did leave some money on the table, but there is this ease to taking care of it as long as you get a fair price all right, how do you go about disposing of cars, used cars? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. In 2018, 
what is the best way to do that? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in a moment. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I had an interesting, and I understand it's kind of a routine experience. I, I had I had a car, I had a third car, um, and this was one that my late wife had purchased right before she got sick, so it had very little mileage on it. I, For sentimental value, I, I hadn't been able to get rid of it, but um, summer's coming on, paying insurance on it, got to figure out where I'm going to, you know, what garage I'm going to keep it in. I finally decided, you know, I, I just don't need this car. So I was looking to sell it, and I ended up taking it out to CarMax, which is, you know, one of the places that you hear, and got a fair offer and sold it. And I had people this morning saying, well, you probably left a little bit of money on the table. And I'm thinking, well, I maybe, but Brian in Cedarburg. Brian, you're on WTMJ. Uh, good afternoon. Hi, Brian. Uh, yeah, I've sold uh, several things on Craigslist, including my wife's car. This past year, mm-hmm. uh, I found some of the responses you get are obviously questionable, and I don't respond to them. But uh, right. lucky, the first guy came out and looked at my wife's car, uh, bought it for a uh, hundred dollars more than I was expecting to get. Oh, okay, and uh, about six hundred dollars more than the dealer offered for a trade-in. Did you have any worries about when the guy wants to take it for a test drive, just giving him the keys and watching him drive off and never seeing it again? Yeah, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I made sure I wrote, at least rode along. Right, right. Yeah, that, no, th- th- see, I mean, again, again, that's that's kind of the things that are sort of running through my mind, especially if you have a car that's relatively new that has low mileage or something on it that, that has... That has a degree of value. Uh, that has a degree of value to it. Um, Scott in New Berlin. Scott, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Yeah, hi Jeff. Hi, um, like you were saying, if you've got a you know fairly high value car that's fairly new, uh, what you did is probably pretty good. Because trying to find somebody on Craigslist to give you fifteen, twenty thousand dollars for cars, well, iffy. Right. But uh, but if you got something, you know, he took a five or plus year old car to CarMax. They're gonna laugh at you and give you a hundred bucks for it. So. Right. I've sold I've sold uh, two cars in the last twelve months over Craigslist, and uh, one of, they're both two thousand models. But one was my father-in-law's truck that was like pristine, and the other one was my daughter's uh, rusty car that she was using in college. So right. completely completely different experiences uh, between those two. But but it's pretty. I look at Craigslist all the time just because I'm a car guy, and uh, for specific models and the the diversity of. The content of the ad that people put in is, is pretty funny. You know, I'll, I'll put ten or twelve pictures in there and a big long description of this, that, and the other thing. And some people put one line. They right. got this car. It's like, do you really expect somebody to, to buy that car? You right. Know, and, and, and I sold a lot of stuff on Craigslist to deal the estate type stuff with my father-in-law passing. And right. uh, you'll get all these. You put the ad on in the evening, and the next day you'll get an ad or a text that says, "Is it still available?" I just posted the ad just last <laughs> night. You know, it's like don't ask. And I did get some kind of scammy stuff on one of the on that tr- on that truck. Some you know people from out of state were calling me saying, "Hey, we'll give you an offer for their car." And it's like you're calling me from Virginia. It's like go away. Right, right. Well, I- exactly. And since Scott, you make an interesting point. I mean, thanks for call- maybe I well, th- there is the time sort of value to it. But like I say, this was th- the car that I was selling was. Really low mileage, a new car, and and, and yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like I was looking for five hundred or a thousand dollars. My the, the the price range that it was in was such that I, I figured the the market for it would be rel I don't know relatively narrow, but I mean, it was a it, it wasn't 
like for somebody who's just looking for like basic transportation and you, you want a 500 or a thousand or two thousand dollar car this was not the car that i was selling sean in union grove uh sean you're in wtmj hi jeff hi sean uh yeah i sold a lot of cars on craigslist uh within the last like 10 years or so i mean obviously it's the most popular, popular thing nowadays um, I actually had kind of the opposite experience of what you had. I mean, I had a little bit of an older vehicle, but it was still highly desired. It was a Honda Civic. Obviously, everybody wants them. Right. Um, took it to CarMax to see what they would give me, and uh, they offered me 1500 bucks. <laughs> and uh, the car was in relatively really good shape. And I said, do you guys know what this car is worth? Right? And they said, yeah, they usually go for around like five, six, seven, eight grand. And I said, yeah, I'm going to sell this thing this weekend, probably guaranteed for $6,000 or more. Right. <clears throat> I denied their offer, and then um, huh. actually did sell it that weekend for sixty five hundred bucks. But yeah, Craigslist is great nowadays. I mean, I just sold a muscle car, a uh, little hot rod, uh, trucks, uh, import cars. I mean, I think it's great. I haven't ever had a bad experience. How how do you deal with again with that issue that? You don't know who is going to show up, and the guy shows up, and for all you know, they're driving a stolen car. You give them the keys, let them go take a test drive, and you never see them again. Right. I mean, that's always an issue you're going to encounter, but uh, I always get around that one by I won't let anybody drive a car that I'm selling without them letting me either take a picture or hold, or hold their driver's license right. while they take it for a test drive. Yeah, so you got to do those type of things. Yeah, that, that's fine. And, and, and actually, again, it was but before I, I did this, I, I had done a little bit of research, so I had a I had a rough idea of the range that I thought my – my car would would come in. I mean, I, I mean, so it's it's again like like Sean was saying. He thought his car he could get six grand for his car, whatever. I I knew what the range was, and the offer I got was was in that range. It wasn't high. It wasn't low. It was kind of like in in that range. So it's like okay, ninety minutes just just done. Walk out with the check, deposit in the bank this morning, and kind of just say okay, it's it's time to move. Call the insurance agent. Say uh, sold the car, drop the insurance. Um, have them. Have them rebate me any money that I've paid up front. But it is this interesting dynamic as things as things change. I mean, just think of you used to put the ad in the newspaper um, and then hope somebody calls. Um, no problem. Beverly in Brookfield. Beverly, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I found the easiest way to sell a car was to sell it to people who are motivated buyers. You okay? When I sold my Acura a little while ago, I wanted to check out what the price was for the used cars that were in the Acura lot. Okay. And sure enough, parked in the Acura lot, and lots of people on a Sunday afternoon are out enjoying the sunshine, <laughs> looking around. And, asking, and the dealership is, of course, closed. The, the dealership yeah. is closed by law. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm looking at the used cars uh, to get a price, and others looking at the used cars look at my highly waxed, ready-to-sell <laughs> used car. Are you selling your Well, of course I am. <laughs> Uh, so I've never again put an ad anywhere. I just drive to the lot and let someone buy it on Sunday afternoons when they're closed. Exactly. <laughs> oh, the car dealerships must love you, Beverly. <laughs> I think they do. Well, I discovered it the first time I was looking for a a, a new car, and my car was simply parked uh, in the guest area. And then someone had come into the showroom floor and said, "Is that white car for sale?" And I said, "No, no, no." And so, of course, it is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right, because because everything is at a certain point in time. Thanks to that. Interesting, interesting ways to do it. All sorts of different procedures. Bottom line is, um, I it was kind of easy. I, I acknowledge, you know, ninety minutes inside and out. Like I say, maybe my, maybe it worked better with the particular car that I was trying to sell. But um, 
interesting how this all changes over time. All right, we've got a lot of stuff coming up on today's program. A, a guy guy threatens to kill himself, and authorities take his guns. Now he is complaining, and a lot more. Stick around. It's 156. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. That's right, Insight 2018, a week from tomorrow. Hope to see you out there. All right. Ever, ever since the most recent school shooting, the one in Parkland, and, and you go back and you look at this 19-year-old kid who did it, this Nicholas Cruz, and, and, of course, this is one clearly where authorities blew it. I don't think there's any question about that. All the signs and symptoms were there. Um, you had multiple calls that people had made to the FBI, to the local police. You had guidance counselors. You had school officials. Everybody knew that this kid was a problem, and yet people did not act. I was looking at a story at the New York Times about this the other day, um, about how certain school officials apparently were trying to arrange an involuntary commitment, but, 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 but ultimately decided not to do this. Um, um Apparently, apparently he, for example, when he was in 11th grade, he told another student, this is his Nicholas Cruz, that he had a gun at home, that he was thinking of using it. Two people, apparently at the school, thought that he should be committed, but ultimately school officials decided not to, to do that. And we all know where that led. So I think on the one hand, we always look at these things and we say missed opportunity, missed opportunity. Here's the flip side of the story. And this is, it was in the Washington Post the other day. The guy is 76 years old. His name is John McGuire. He lives in Connecticut. Um, he is a gun collector and has a collection of firearms. He has 81 guns in his house. He's a former police officer. He has been collecting and actually also using firearms as an investment. So he's got all sorts of guns. He's got handguns. He's got long rifles. He's got um, expensive guns. He's got cheaper guns. He's got antiques. He's got semi-automatics. He's got miniature pistols. Um, He's been collecting guns. Also, he's fallen on tough times lately. Apparently back in 2015... His daughter dies. Okay, so his daughter passes away in 2015. Then what happens is um, his wife passes away after a a long bout with cancer um, while in hospice care in their living room. So, I mean, she dies in their house. Um, A medical technician comes, and this is after the guy's wife has just passed away. A medical technician comes to take away her hospital bed. So, you know, it's it's this in-home hospice thing. And um, asks the man, how are you doing? Okay, so he just lost his wife. And he tells the medical technologist, the medical technician, who's there to take away the bed, he says, I just, he says, you know, I want to burn down the house and I want to kill myself. He said, you know, what else do I have to lose? So that's what he tells the medical technician. And there's guns all over the house. 
So he's saying, I want to kill myself. I want to burn down the house. I've got nothing left to lose. My daughter died two years ago. My wife has just passed away. All right. The medical technician goes, leaves the house and calls the police and says, I was just in this man's house. There's guns all over the place. He says he wants to burn down the house and kill himself. So what the police do is they go to a court and they get a warrant. And Connecticut is one of a handful of states which allow authorities to come in, search houses, seize weapons, and remove them even though the person has not been charged with a crime, even though the person isn't being accused of a crime, and even though the person isn't necessarily being suspected of of committing a crime. But Connecticut allows officers to go in and seize guns. And the only way the guy can get the guns back is to show up at a hearing and then essentially prove that he is not a danger to himself or others. So what happens is, get the warrant, the cops go, they, they haul out 81 guns out of this guy's house, and now you know the issue becomes, all right, did they violate his rights? Should, have they, should they have been allowed to preemptively seize all the firearms from his house? And, and again, other than, I mean, his threat to, I guess, burn down the house and kill himself, shoot himself, um, he, he's not talking about shooting others, hasn't been charged with a crime, should they have been able to seize his guns? All right, I want to open up the phone lines, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, you look at what happened with Nicholas Cruz, and, and here, that was the Parkland shooter. Everybody know. I mean, it's, it's very apparent, and hindsight is twenty twenty. but I think you can argue in that case, it was clear all along that this kid was a ticking time bomb who should have been committed and shouldn't have allowed to have access to firearms. All right, that's that's a tragic, but in some respects, it's an easy case. What about a scenario like this? You've got the guy, firearms collector, ton of guns in his house. He's going through a series of personal tragedies. You know, what could be worse? And, you know, in the heat of the moment, he tells the, the medical people that are there, I, I've got what, I've got nothing else to live for. I, I'm ready to kill myself, burn down this house. Should that be a basis for authorities being able to come in and take all his firearms away? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it an overreach by the government to take away this man's guns based on his casual remark to uh, the medical technician. Is this too far for the government to go, or do we need to do this nowadays to protect ourselves from senseless gun violence? 414-799-1620. I'll tell you where I come down on this in just a minute, but what do you think? Is this the government going too far, or would you like to see more proactive type of stuff like this? We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 215. This is Jeff Wagner. 218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, here's the story if you're just tuning in. We're all talking about the need to be, uh, law enforcement needs to be more proactive. You know, all the signs were there that the kid who was the Parkland shooter was going to be a, a crazy maniac, and yet nobody did anything. Okay, well, this is one of the flip sides of it. The guy is 76 years old. He's a gun collector, former cop. He's got 
81 firearms in his house. He's been going through a lot of tough times. His daughter passed away in 2015. His wife of forever dies in their home. It's like a home hospice sort of thing. He's distraught. He's distraught. The medical technician is coming to take the hospital bed that was in the house away because his wife had passed away. And the guy says, I I just I got nothing to live for. I'm going to burn down the house. I'm going to kill myself. What do I have to lose? The medical technician leaves. He calls the police. He says, look, this is what the guy said. Um, There's guns all over the house. The police and this is legal in Connecticut. Get a warrant. They go in. They seize all the guns, take all the guns away from the man. And the way the law works is he's got to go in and prove that he's not a threat to himself or to others to get him back. Was this right? 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Steve in Menominee Falls. Steve, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff. Hi, like your show. Thank you. Long time, long time listener. Thank you. Say, a, a twist on this one. Okay, let, let's let's say you ride a motorcycle, and you got a bad thing going on, a lot of bad stuff happening in your life. You know, you're talking to somebody, and you say, you know, I just feel like i got nothing to lose. I think I'll just crash my bike and uh, end it off. Right, or drive it over a cliff or whatever, sure, yeah. No, I'm maybe drive it into a truck. Sure. Okay, are, are, are the authorities supposed to say, hey, we're going to come in here and take your motorcycle? That might be therapy for you that keeps you going. Mm-hmm. And are they going to take that away from you because you might hurt yourself or somebody else and God forbid they take it away, and now you're really depressed. Mm-hmm. Well, let me uh, let me That's ask right. you, I, and I, you raise an interesting point, Steve. Let me ask you a question. Do you think if somebody said that, do you think that would be a basis not to take the motorcycle away, but maybe to commit the guy um, to see if he's really serious about this, maybe an involuntary commitment? No, I don't think so. I think I would just stress that uh, we're going to have additional appointments. We're going to set you up with... Uh, with counseling and um, mm-hmm. maybe have some stipulations involved with that. You know, we, we need you to, to see somebody about this because we are concerned. Right. You know? oh. Okay, uh, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. Thanks for 414-799-1620. Now, that, that's a, I guess, because you, you've got two things that are going on here. Um, in Connecticut and in Wisconsin, if you can demonstrate that somebody is a danger to themselves or to others, they can be involuntarily committed. And I guess the question would be, you know, how sincere was it? What were the circumstances? But if somebody is out there saying, I- I'm going to kill myself and drive my motorcycle into a truck because I got nothing to live for, you could maybe make an argument not to take the motorcycle, but you could maybe make an argument that that was a, a basis for an involuntary commitment of the individual. Now, here in Connecticut, that's that's not what they were doing. They took the guns away from him. Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. As usual. Um, always a good show as usual. This, this is one of those situations where it's like this guy has proven that he's been obviously responsible. Gun owner, yep. tons of guns, former law enforcement. So I get it. But as with any responsible gun owner that has that moment that they snap, you know, they could then become a, 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 a danger at any moment. Anybody can become a danger. This is one of those, you know, I'd rather err on the side of safety. Mm-hmm. Because if he doesn't, let's say, let's say he just snaps and decides, I mean, let's, let's play the other side of the coin. He decides to snap and he not only hurts himself, but hurts someone else, you know, in his, in his, you know, deep depressive state. Because only, all it takes is a moment. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather err on the side of safety. And, and for the caller that brought the motorcycle, you know, guns were designed, guns were designed to kill. And I'd rather, you want to, you want to err on the side of safety. 
Would you so also, though, commit him? Because what he also said, he said, I think I'm going to burn down my house. Um, something like that, would that be, in your mind, a basis for involuntarily committing him for a period of time to at least just determine, is the guy serious about this, or is this just something he's saying in the, the fit of a moment? He's, he's just lost his, his you know, wife of decades and decades. Again, I'm going to err. On, I'm going to say yes because I'm going to err on the side of safety. You know, I'm, I, you always want to because again, if you don't, if you don't err on the side of safety, you give this guy the benefit of the doubt, and then something bad happens. The tech that hurt, the tech that was coming to get the bed is, you know, right. thinking we could have prevented this. And of course, his family's not going to feel any sympathy, you know, because if they could have prevented this, you know what I'm saying? Well, oh no, I do because I mean, let, let's say, let's say that the guy is really serious about this, and you don't do anything about it, and then a day later. Um, the, the there's a gas explosion at the house, and the whole thing blows up and takes part of the neighborhood. And then you find out that he told the tech, "I was going to set the house on fire," and um, and nobody did anything. Yeah, I mean, people are going to be going, right. "Why didn't you do something?" Right. So yeah. I'm 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 with I'm with I'm on the side of air on the side of safety. Okay, thanks for oh. the call. Appreciate it. For, then Orlando uh, 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 Lamar always joins us from Orlando. It's always a pleasure to have him, especially since it's probably a lot warmer in Orlando. Myron in Montello. Hi, Myron. You're on WTMJ. Did they go too far in taking this guy's guns? Yes, I think so, Jeff. You know, I'll tell you what. I'm in my 80s, and I can kind of understand how the guy feels. Mm-hmm. I lost a wife and a daughter. But I'll tell you, back in the day when we had institutions for these people, he would have been taking a trip to Mendota, and he wouldn't have been let out until they found out he was had all his senses. So your your idea would be, you think it would saying stuff like this would be a basis for at least an involuntary commitment, but not necessarily taking his guns. Yes, because okay. what else are they going to do? Take his house away because he's going to burn it down? Well, that's the right. I mean, see, see, that's that's the concern I have with with this, which is. And again, it goes back to the whole question of 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 what what's the problem? Is it the guns, or is it the mental health of the individual? I hear this story, and again, I I don't know if the guy was sincere or not. My sense is he's just distraught. I mean, it's just you, you know you're right. You're in the heat of the moment. He says something, and I, I think. I mean, I think authorities were right to go out and investigate it. To me, though, the appropriate way to deal with this would be rather than taking the guns away, you take him away. And and to me, this would be a basis for whatever the law says, 48 hours involuntary commitment, 72 hours, whatever, and sit down and have some people who know something talk to this guy and figure out, is this just something that he, he said in the moment of despair that you could maybe understand, or is this somebody that really does have a serious mental health problem, a mental illness, in which case, the, yeah, in which case, yes, you don't want him having access to guns, but you don't want him necessarily having access to other stuff as well, because if he says he's going to kill himself, again, you you blow up the house. Okay, well, you take out a whole city block, and then all sorts of people are dead. No, thanks for the call. I, I, I guess I, I look at this, and I understand where authorities were coming from, but I don't I don't think this is the way to go about it. First of all, you have to establish to me is there is there a mental illness? Is there a mental health problem? And if the answer is yes, then then what you do is then you take away the guns. No no question about it, but you also look at at committing the the person and then you also if there is the mental health problem, then you you make sure he doesn't have the guns and you 
in the heat, um, you know, and you don't let him buy other guns. I get all that. I'm 100% in favor of it. But first, before you take the guns, I think you got to decide, is there a mental illness? Because if there is, maybe it's not going to make any difference as to whether there's guns. Just saying. 226, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. He started over 100 games for the Green and Gold since 2010. Now he's a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just how big a loss for the Packers is Morgan Burnett? Greg Matzik says it's complicated. Hmm. And he explains why tonight at 6.43 on Sports Central. I'd be interested. Uh, Greg always does a great job. Honestly, with all due respect to the, as I said earlier, with all due respect to the new Packers general manager, seems like the new boss is a lot like the old boss. And given what other teams in the division have done in free agency, it appears the Packers um, ha- have not made the moves that they necessarily need to make. I'm just saying, but I don't do the sports stuff. Tune in. Greg will have the analysis. Okay. I want to switch gears in the next segment of the program. You might remember this. We talked about it when it happened. Um, 6.30-ish in the morning, February 26th, there was a guy who was going to work on the northwest side of Milwaukee. What happened is a um, man approached him as he was going to work. He was in his car. The guy that approached the driver of the car was named Carlos Martin. He was a convicted felon at the age of 21. Martin was armed with a gun and was trying to carjack the 24-year-old guy who was heading to work. Um, What they believe happened is this Carlos Martin had an accomplice or two who had their own car They drop Martin off. He goes up, and he's trying to carjack this guy who's going to work. Well, they picked the wrong guy, 24-year-old man who was heading to work. The 24-year-old had a valid concealed carry license um, and shot and killed Carlos Martin, the would-be carjacker. The incident occurred outside a business in the 8800 block of West Fond du Lac. The shooter stayed on the scene answered the police's questions. The district attorney's office has just made a decision into how to handle the death of the would-be carjacker. I will share that with you in a moment, and we're going to discuss whether or not they got it right. It's 2.35, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Okay, you will remember this perhaps when it happened three weeks ago. Guy is going to work. Um, He works like 88th and Fond du Lac or something like that on the northwest side going to work. Um, And what happens is as he's in his car going into work, 21-year-old guy who's got – the guy's 21 years old. I'm looking at his criminal record, convicted of felony battery in 2015, convicted of burglary in 2016 – out on the streets again by 2018. Gee, what could go wrong with that? So this guy's name is Carlos Martin. Apparently, he's involved in the carjacking. He gets dropped off. He's with a couple of accomplices who end up leaving. They drop him off. He goes up to this this man who's going to work and sticks a gun in the guy's face, tries to carjack him. What he doesn't realize is the man who is going to work is a concealed carry holder who pulls out a gun and shoots and kills Carlos Martin. All right, the would-be carjacker. Uh, the worker stays on the scene. The worker, you know, answers all the police questions, describes what happens, 
and uh, the matter is then being reviewed. District Attorney's Office asks, answers today, and they come out with, I think, what is clearly the correct decision. They say that uh, no charges. They've reviewed the case. They determined that the would-be carjacking victim lawfully acted in self-defense. We will take no further action in this case. Now, under these circumstances... I mean, I think this is clearly the the right decision. And there's, if there had been a different decision here, again, just like with that Brown Deer police officer, there's no way the district attorney's office would have been able to get a conviction. So, so they've got it right. So let me give them credit; they they have it right. But now this raises the larger question. You will remember, oh, a couple months ago, there was the huge flap when you had a number of other contractors who worked on jobs for the city of Milwaukee. They weren't city of Milwaukee employees, but they worked um, on jobs uh, let by the city of Milwaukee, and they would show up, these contractors, these workers, would show up at job sites with guns because they felt the need to protect themselves. And remember the different aldermen who just went crazy Oh, how terrible this is. What image does this send that you have workers who are showing up with guns, you know, onto onto the job sites? How terrible could this be? And we don't think city employees should be allowed to carry guns unless they're law enforcement. And we certainly don't think contractors should. And here they go on to, like, pull contracts um, that were leased to some of these companies where the employees showed up with the guns. Now, after this incident, the one I'm talking about in February, remember we took a number of calls from people who work in that area. And they said, hey, this happens all the time. These workers routinely find themselves being the subject of of robberies to the point that you now have to have all this extra security, but people are very, very vulnerable if they're pulling in the gates and things like that. And at least a couple of our callers were saying it is not uncommon for the workers to, again, it's 6 o'clock in the morning, you know, it's not necessarily that populated an area. The bad guys know when people are coming in, and they sit and they wait and they prey on them. So they said it's not that uncommon for other workers to start carrying firearms. Well, if you talk to the aldermen, they continue to believe that this is just terrible. How dare somebody... Now, in this particular case, there's nothing that the aldermen could do because this is a private employer. This isn't like it's a city project. So, I mean, if the private employer... Well, actually, I'm not even sure the private employer could do anything because the guy had a concealed carry permit. They could have said, you can't bring it into, into the plant, but they'd have to let them leave it in the car and they'd have to let them leave it in the parking lot. But the city of Milwaukee and the politicians continue to be appalled with the idea that either city employees or private contractors working in the city on city projects might think that they have to carry firearms. Well, here's the bottom line. If this guy did not have a firearm with him when this man who at the age of 21, and God knows what his juvenile record was, but by the age of 21 had already amassed multiple felony, multiple felony convictions, carrying a gun, went up and presumably stuck that gun in the guy's face and tried to steal his car, who knows whether that man would be alive or not. So here is my question to you. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Isn't it finally time? 
for the politicians in the city of Milwaukee, starting with the mayor and including the various aldermen, to take their heads out of the sand, for want of a better phrase, take the heads out, their heads out of the sand, and say, look, we're not going to prevent city employees from being able to get concealed carry permits and carry firearms if they want. And we're certainly not going to make it a condition of bidding for work um, for a city project on the fact that workers aren't going to be allowed to carry firearms to the job sites. Given the fact that the politicians have been unable to um, deal with the very real problem of crime in the city of Milwaukee, isn't it time to simply say, all right, we are not going to make the workers, whether they're city employees or whether they're people who are working for companies that have contracts with the city, we are not going to make them victims. We're at least going to give them an opportunity to protect themselves and defend themselves because we haven't been able to keep the carjackers and such off the streets. Isn't it time once and for all to say, look, you know, if you want to bring a firearm, you know, to a city job site, got it. It's okay if it's okay with your employer and you've got a concealed carry permit, fine, we're not going to stop you. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. I think I don't think it is encouraging vigilantism. I think it is reflecting the reality of what goes on in the mean streets of Milwaukee, and if workers want to not saying they have to, but if a worker wants to be able to protect themselves, I think they should be able to bring a gun so that they could protect themselves when they are robbed. Ask this 24-year-old guy that shot the carjacker whether he's glad he had the gun. I think I know what the answer is going to be. All right, should the city change its policy with regard to people carrying firearms, workers carrying firearms on city job sites? 414-799-1620. We're back to discuss in just a minute. It's 243. This is Jeff Wagner. 246, Jeff Wagner. Let me share a text with you. Um, person gives me a name. I'm working on a sewer project in the city of Milwaukee on Tetonia and Finn on the north side. Okay, gives me his company's name. He said, yesterday, 8.15, while working in the middle of Tetonia, two men pull up in a car 20 feet from us. One gets out, is watching us work. Next thing we see is this thug grab our $800 pipe saw and run to the car, uh, throw in the saw. Four of us see it. We run after him. One of us gets a hold of the saw. That person gets punched in the face. Needless to say, they got away. The police came two hours later to no avail. Last week, two blocks away at 11 a.m., they stole our $8,000 pipe-laying laser. No wonder why we need to protect ourselves. The city is out of control. We're afraid to work here. Right, and that's that's this scenario of, of what is going on. And it is so frustrating that you have these aldermen who don't care or don't appear to care about the safety of people who are working in the city. It's, well, gee, how is it going to look if we allow contractors to carry firearms to protect themselves? Well, who cares how it looks? Who cares how it looks? The problem is they need to do it because they are sitting ducks. Sue in Milwaukee. Sue, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Um, thanks for taking my call. Yes, exactly. They are they are sitting ducks. My husband goes to work through a bad neighborhood to get to his job. He's a city worker. I'm a government employee. In fact, I work at the facility where we had a shooting. 
and we couldn't, we don't, we can't carry guns in there. He can't carry guns to work. And, you know, they park their trucks in areas that by the time they come back, they shut mm-hmm. the door, come around the front of the car, their lunch and everything's gone already. Yep. I mean, it's terrible. This happens every day of the week. They have people jumping on the sides of the cars, telling them, give me money, um, ladies of the evening, do me a favor, all of that. <laughs> I mean, the problem is, like you said, when is it going to come time where we, we start? When you said that the person has so many felonies on his right why is he on the street right get, a- rid of these, get these people off the street right age of 20 okay 21 years old um two serious felonies god knows what the juvenile record is and at six o'clock in the morning he and a couple of his buddies are out carjacking people at gunpoint but but right that that's the thing and and it, again so I mean, you got these aldermen who are whining about well how does it look if we have a contractor or in your husband's case a city employee who is exposed and vulnerable not allowed to defend themselves and and the city's answer is well make sure you have a charged cell phone well good luck with that yeah, and they're going to steal the a cell phone right out of your hand or put a gun <laughs> to your head to get it from you so what are they talking about keep these people off the street well right you know, i mean the system has to change we have to have change with the system before anything else can happen i i people should not be where is the boot camp come on put these kids in something well, I mean, I see, I agree with you. Thanks for call, Sue. But unless we're willing to do that, I mean, the starting point is allow people, uh, uh, again, a chance to defend themselves if they want. Now, like I say, if this if this guy who shot and killed the carjacker, if he had been going to a city job site and he, he wasn't. What would have happened? He wouldn't have been legally allowed to. He wouldn't have been allowed by his employer to carry the firearm his car would have been stolen he might be dead that's that is the reality that is the choice that aldermen give in the city of milwaukee again i is it fair to say they don't care about the workers well i don't know if they don't care about the workers but they have made the conscious decision that appearance gee we don't we are worried about what it looks like if you have people who are driving to work whether they live in the city or not they are driving to work on city projects and they feel the need to carry a firearm to defend themselves we are more concerned with how that looks than we are with the fact that they need to carry those firearms to protect themselves. We would rather have you carjacked and maybe shot than give the impression that it is a dangerous area. Well, the reality is it is a dangerous area. And that's what is so, so frustrating about all this. Michael in Pewaukee. Michael, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, I was just saying uh, I don't even want to look at it from dangerous areas because it's kind of a subjective measure. I think, you know, any city worker should be able to, to carry. Uh, and if they want to protect themselves, I don't, you know, care if they're out in Pewaukee. I mean, there could be some, some guy mm-hmm. out in Pewaukee going after them. Uh, and, you know, if they want to they want to protect themselves and, you know, shoot that guy in the middle of the street, that's, uh, that, that looks a lot better than, uh, you know, having the guy run off with a $500 piece of electric equipment. Well, right. Now, again, you, you can't, I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, you, you can't, shoot somebody simply because they're stealing your $8,000, you know, laser measuring thing. But it, it is reflective of the fact that what what happens is these workers, whether they're working on city projects or they're working in the city on private projects, their 
they are targets. And I, I just, I mean, th- this is the thing that people want to pretend doesn't happen, that the Tom Barretts of the world and the aldermen of the world want to pretend. But, I mean, look, the bad guys know. The bad guys see these workers, these guys working on construction sites, and you've got, you know, people that have their trucks and they've got their equipment and it's valuable type of equipment. They know that that's going on. And they also know that because the city has this idiotic policy which says, all right, we're not going to give you a chance to defend yourselves, they know that these people are just victims. I'm a duck. Come here and pluck me. That's what goes on. And again, we, we can't get past this idea that, gee, we're worried about how it looks. Well, all right, stop worrying about how it looks and start worrying about why it is going on in the first place. Joe in Appleton. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Pretty clear to me they've got three choices. One, change the policy. Two, Provide armed guards at each of these job sites, which would cost the city and the taxpayers an arm or leg. Mm-hmm. Or three, get the kind under control, which they can't seem to do that either. <laughs> yeah, all, right. And, and maybe you need to do all three of them. Yeah, I mean, when when we've talked about this before, I mean, I know that there are some there are some private contractors that that's what they do now. They hire, they build it into the job price. They hire, you know, armed security people to. Make sure that the workers can get back and forth from their cars. And I guess it just if everybody else understands what's going on, Joe, it's so frustrating that the aldermen just want to stick their you know fingers in their ears and say we don't want to hear about this instead of realizing it is a major problem that you got to deal with. That's just it. And, and with regard to the perception piece of it, I don't live in Milwaukee or Milwaukee County. My perception of Milwaukee, frankly, I'll never spend a dollar in that town unless I have to. I don't feel safe in that town. Yeah, thanks for calling. And I mean, again, I, I've talked about this before. There are there are areas of the city of Milwaukee that I think are extremely safe, and there's areas that that aren't. And you know, the suburbs in Milwaukee County are, as a general rule, um, safe. Although you do have, first of all, you have some homegrown suburban criminals, and then you have the the crime creep. You have you know people. The crime does spread as for looking for targets of opportunity. But in general, I think the suburbs are pretty safe. But it's it's still a matter that needs to be dealt with, period. It's 2.54. When we come back, we're going to find out what John and Melissa have on their minds. Please stick around.